are listening to Miller and Moulton, exclusively on the Florida Sports Network. And now, here's Mark Miller and David Moulton. Third and final hour of Miller and Moulton in Lake City and surrounding areas, Tampa St. Pete, Port Charlotte to Venice. The bonus hour awaits for those in the 239 at the top of the hour. Miller and Moulton, the Florida Sports Network, floridasportsnetwork.com. Bob Pockrass, busy late night, early morning for Bob, covering the Twin 150s last night because he covers NASCAR for Fox. Follow Bob on Twitter at Bob Pockrass, P-O-C-K-R-A-S-S. Bob, thanks for doing this. Top of the morning. How are you? Well, I'm at the Daytona International Speedway, so things can't be too bad, right? Uh, getting ready for final uh, three days of uh, a speed week, uh, culminating with the Daytona 500 on Fox on Sunday afternoon. And, you know, I think uh, from what you saw last night in the Twins, uh, they, they, they should be good because I think uh, drivers will be – even a little bit more aggressive or we'll make that a lot more aggressive on Sunday. Well, is that what we learned last night that, I mean, what, what did you take from last night's twins that you can take to the race on Sunday? <laughs> I think uh, I took that. Not everybody was showing their full hand. I, I joke with Joey Logano was able to hold on to win the first uh, twin, but he didn't try to make a move to block him to make a block on the, on the guy who, on, uh, who was trying to pass him. And I think on Sunday, he tries to make that block. I asked him if he would, and he just kind of laughed and says he has some secrets. So uh, I would say that we know that drivers will be more aggressive, and I think we also know that Kyle Busch in a Richard Childress racing car uh, can be a threat, even though they're going to most likely go to a backup car after the crash on Thursday night. Well, you know, there are always a ton of storylines associated with Daytona, but which one interests you the most? Harvick now announced this is my last year as a full-time driver. Who knows if it's his last 500. Kyle Busch with a new team for the first time in a generation. Uh, you know, in our neck of the woods, we're huge Ross Chastain guys. Can he take the next step? Okay, just curious, what storyline interests you and really interests the garage the most this week? Yeah, uh, I mean, I do think this is Harvick's last Daytona 500. I don't see him... Um, you know, doing Tom Brady or anything like that, where he comes back, or, or even an Eric Amarola who won last night, who wasn't even supposed to be here uh, racing this year, but then kind of unretired for this season. But my biggest storyline, I think, is Kyle Busch, because I think everybody knows that Kyle Busch is a great talent. Everybody knows that Busch has a fiery personality. Everybody knows that his team owner, Richard Childress, has a fiery personality. We've known... <laughs> Go back about over, you know, 10, 12 years ago, and their fiery personalities uh, clashed <laughs> literally um, in the garage at Kansas. So, uh, so I think everybody's just wondering how that relationship will work and how successful Kyle Busch can be at twin, at at, uh, at RCR. And I think if, uh, you know, from what was seen at the clash and what we saw Thursday night, uh, they're showing that it could be a very, very strong and very, very productive relationship. David mentioned it. We follow Ross Chastain. Last year was an incredible year for him. It was an incredible year for Trackhouse. Was it a fluke, or can we expect both Ross Chastain and Suarez to have a, a repeat of a year ago? I mean, I certainly don't think it was a fluke. Uh, you know, a lot of people uh, thought Ross Chastain had a lot of talent. Uh, it's just putting him in the right situation. And, you know, the, now can they repeat what they did last year? You know, 
Uh, they did great last year. And, and if they didn't repeat that, I wouldn't say that it's a bad year. Uh, but I think they will build on what they did last year. I think, um, you know, they came into the Daytona 500 a year ago uh, with potential. And now they come into the Daytona 500 in this season with a lot of confidence, knowing what they can do. And the fact that they have, you know, they kind of have some swagger now, I think can go a long way. He's Bob Pockrass. He covers NASCAR for Fox. He's at Daytona, obviously. Follow Bob on Twitter. Bob Pockrass, P-O-C-K-R-A-S-S. Is Jimmy Johnson relevant in this 500? I know what he said, but is he in that car, are they relevant, or is the only way he's relevant, he hangs back and he makes it so that he doesn't get involved in two big wrecks and then he's there at the end? Oh, I think he's relevant uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, the first time, the, the first one is, is that he has a couple of teammates who he knows will help him in, in the draft. Uh, I think people would be very willing to help Jimmy Johnson because he's not a threat for the championship, right? He's running, you know, five, six races. So if he won the Daytona for 500 or has a good day, that, that means that somebody else didn't have a good day or somebody else doesn't get, the, you know, then nobody gets that automatic spot for the playoff. Uh, and I think people trust Jimmy Johnson in the draft, you know, they're, they're, even though he hasn't raced a, a, a next-gen car, I think people will be willing to work with him, and that's and that's a lot of the battle here at at Daytona. So, you know, I'm not saying that he's going to go out and win the race, but if he has if he's there at the end, uh, I could definitely see people uh, working with Jimmy, especially a lot of the veterans, because they've you know they've worked with Jimmy for for so many years. They know what he's capable of doing. They believe that he won't make any silly mistakes and when you have that trust factor uh, that can go a long long way into you know deciding (laughs) what you're going to do on those final few laps last year we had so many different winners bob do you expect a similar year of a lot of different guys winning or is there enough knowledge on the car that it'll be a little more streamlined this year (laughs) Uh, that's a great question and i would say you know I know your fans would say, no, they want to see watermelon smashed about 10 times this year, right? Uh, <laughs> so, but I, I think, you know, in talking to, to a lot of drivers and teams, they feel like it'll be a little bit more streamlined. But uh, but I, I don't get that. I think because you look at 19 different winners last year, and yet Ryan Blaney didn't win. Martin Truex Jr. didn't win. Brad Keselowski didn't win. So you look at those three guys, and you're like, man, they, they should probably win. And so you're, are you saying that there's going to be four or five guys who didn't, who won last year who aren't going to win this year? I, I just don't see it. I think there will be just as much uh, – there will be just as many winners this year as there were last year. Bob, is NASCAR in as good a spot as Miller and Moulton thinks it is? You know, that, I mean, it, it took a transition period. You know, a, a bunch of young drivers were – thrust upon the NASCAR fan the middle of last decade, but it seems now as if the roots are planted in the dirt and this seems to have worked. And at least for a little while longer, we got Harvick, Truex, Kyle Busch. We have just a little bit of an old guard that can still contend. And the young guys now seemingly have all made their bed. 
Yeah, I, I think, you know, finally the emergence of Raj Chastain, the emergence of Daniel Suarez, the, the emergence of, uh, of Bubba Wallace, uh, and then the continued success of a Chase Elliott. You know, the, all those young drivers, you know, now have such strong fan bases that it certainly is pushing the sport forward. I think the fact that NASCAR has has changed its schedule some and doing the, Col- the clash at the Coliseum, the dirt race at Bristol, uh, going back to North Wilkesboro, they were at Road America and now doing the Chicago Street Race. I think that adds some intrigue to uh, to what's going on in the sport. And now the challenge is to be able to continue that momentum as well as trying to make sure that, uh, you know, I've always said that the, the car industry is so hard to predict five years down the line, 10 years down the line. That's what makes it hard to predict, you know, where does racing go? You know, you kind of follow the, the way that, uh, that uh, production cars go. And so how those things continue to evolve and sync will kind of be the biggest challenge for NASCAR going forward. Bob, who do you like in the 500? Uh, I like Ryan Blaney. Uh, the Fords looked good last night, and I think Ryan Blaney's still probably angry about a year ago. He made the move to probably win the race, and he got pinched into the wall by his teammate, Austin Sindrick. Uh, you don't blame Sindrick really for it. It's for the Daytona 500 win, but I think Blaney, having experienced that, uh, probably knows what he wants to do and will – get the job done this year he's bob pockrass he's at daytona he covers nascar for fox sunday afternoon the great american race is back on fox bob thanks for doing this we appreciate it have a great next three days and safe travels all right thank you guys bob pockrass follow him on twitter at bob pockrass p-o-c-k-r-a-s-s well, that's good. He likes a Ford. You and I both pick Chevys to win, right? Yep. Okay. Off yep. to a good start in NASCAR. Come on now. It's a Daytona 500. And literally, literally, there's 40 cars in the field. 30 of them can win this race. Pastrana can't. I will say that. He can't. Okay. Damn near everybody else can be on the lead lap at the end. You have no idea who's going to get wrecked. Hell, the big wreck with four laps to go could take out half the damn field. And it could take out the top half of the field, too. I mean, you know. Well, that's what was proven in the second race last night. We watched Chastain a few years ago get a top 10 in a race. Hell, he was running to the back of the pack all day, finished ninth. Why? Well, about 25 guys got wrecked out of the race. Michael McDowell won this damn thing two years ago. Trust me, anybody can win this sucker. This is like the players. Okay? I mean, you know, come in with all the big names and what have you, but it's a bit of a funky course. You know, a lot of the big-name players don't even like it. It's the same thing with Daytona. You know, they're not going to say anything bad about it, but they – I mean, Kyle Busch, he doesn't like it. He's like, Harvick has said, you know, I hate restrictor plate racing. But we love it because it provides us with what? The big wreck. Drama. It's exciting. I love how that feels. It's like a big accordion. Okay. When they're at top speed and they're just the way it moves. 
right? And I mean, you just imagine you're driving down, you know, I-95, I-75, what have you. Now let's put some 30-degree banking, okay? Triple your speed, hit your groove, okay? I don't just mean stay in your lane. I mean hit your groove. By the way, you got a car on each side of you. Do that 200 times. Oh, I'm sorry, four turns. So really you got to do it 800 times. Okay. As you said, with one on each side of you at certain times. Yep. Exactly. Do you imagine if just for the heck of it, you got a good hour going on I-75 and then all of a sudden the car to your left just kind of bumps into you? Like, tell me you wouldn't freak out. And he looks at you and waves, kind of like, here I am. You know? Right. Uh-huh. Love this race. Miller and Moulton, Florida Sports Network. Welcome back to Miller and Moulton, only on the Florida Sports Network. Twenty-one minutes past the hour. Miller and Moulton, Florida Sports Network, FloridaSportsNetwork.com. Ah, oh, you've been clamoring for it. You've wanted it. We are giving it to you in a little more than fifteen minutes' time. An XFL preview. Hey, don't laugh. We don't even know all the teams. And there's only eight of them. I mean, I know Orlando's got a team. I know St. Louis has a team. You told me Seattle has a team during the break. That's about all I know. Seattle, D.C., St. Louis, San Antonio, Orlando, Houston, Las Vegas, and Arlington. Hmm. Well, I will say St. Louis and San Antonio have always done well with these secondary football leagues. St. Louis just hates the NFL. They like football. They just hate the National Football League. They feel as if they've been mm, twice. Looking at the team (laughs) names and the logos. I will say the Houston Roughnecks logo looks similar to the Oilers logo. The H kind of has the it's it, it's red red white and blue, dark blue, but it it gives me the feel of a Houston logo. Ooh. I don't know about you. I love the old Oilers helmets. I mean, that's what you should do there. If you change the colors, do you think you could make everything about it the same? I would have, unless the name's copyrighted, which it probably is. That's probably why they can't use it. Well, don't call it the Oilers, but literally take the same logo. Boom. Put it on there. Change the colors. And everybody go, wow, that looks like the Houston Oilers. They're the Houston what? And what are they, Roughnecks? They're the Houston Roughnecks taking on the Orlando Guardians. That's a week one ESPN game. Or ESPN NFX. It's a dual network game, David. Okay, it's tomorrow night. I know that. It's yeah. like 8 o'clock. Mm-hmm. So anyway, all right, everything you need to know about this spring football league, which, you know, this is their third time, by the way, trying to make this work. They lasted a full season the first time. The pandemic uh, shut it down like four weeks into it the second time. The Rock owns the league. And they're the ones that has some sort of relationship with the National Football League. The other one is the USFL. It doesn't start for two months. Fox basically owns that league. 
you would think one of the NFL's broadcast partners would be the one with the relationship with the league. No. It's the XFL. And the XFL is the only one you're going to hear about on the four-letter network because they're in bed with them. They have nothing to do with the USFL. So you're not going to hear hardly anything about that league from ESPN. It'll be interesting if Fox does the same thing in return. They don't tell you anything about the XFL because they literally own the USFL. But FX is running the game, so they probably will. There you have it. Big preview coming up. Different rules and everything. It's I can't wait. I'm I'm excited to hear about these rules. <laughs> Anthony Miller will join us in about 15 minutes. All right. How do you think Tiger's going to do today? Even par. Really? Really? It's going to be cold. He's teeing off in two hours. His body is old and creaky and broken, and even he said he does not do well in the cold anymore. I think he shoots even par today. You know, he gave away a couple yesterday, a couple of errant shots, a couple of bad chips. All in all, hit the ball really well off the tee. If he does that, that bodes well for him. You know, one of the par threes played 235 yesterday. I don't think that'll be happening today. Figure he won't hit the balls far today for most of the round. In the morning, it'll be colder. Ball won't go as far. I mean, you know, length's not an issue. Very few of these courses can overpower these guys anymore. But I don't think he breaks par, put it that way. I think he makes the cut. I think I think that, that that birdie, birdie, birdie finish round one is what's going to get him to the weekend. But um, I say two over 74. He makes the cut right on the number. And I'll take the under on that. I think he plays better than that. I think he'll shoot a 72 today. Maybe even a one under 71. Look at you. Well, you did pick him to make the cut, okay, before the tournament started. I was missed the cut. You were make the cut. So what is the one thing that you and I have been pretty accurate on when it comes to Tiger talking about himself, that he evades the truth? There's a little bit of sandbagger in Tiger. Very much so. Very much so. I will say by the end of the round, I thought he was still looking good. You know, I mean, didn't think he was really limping badly. And I mean, you know, compared to how he was finishing rounds last year. I mean, you could literally see. I mean, Tiger couldn't finish around birdie, birdie, birdie last year. I mean, physically, he was falling apart during the round. It was just getting worse every hole. So that in and of itself, Mark, to me, is very encouraging. That he had the strength to be able to finish off a round. And that's very different than last year. I mean, we are now too damn near to the day, full years removed from the accident. It's like, you know, somebody blows out their knee, what they look like first year back, what they look like second year back. I, Tiger physically looked 
different to me yesterday. And you see him wrapping, you know, having to work on his ankle being wrapped. And he talked about the ankles bothering him. We'll see how that affects with the cold morning this morning. But uh, in par 71 at Riviera. So David's two overs a 73. My one under is a 70. We're off by one. Sorry. Our mistake. Forgive us. But I do that because I I see it in the Twitch chat room, which means there's five texts that say the same thing before I even go and check. (laughs) Right. Golf people are very. Yes. Exact, David. I think you know that. And and please just make sure he signed the card in the designated area. Don't you? Just dumbest thing in the world. Don't even know why. No, the dumbest thing in the world is that there's ground under repair all over the golf course. But if you hit it into a divot in the middle of the fairway, you still got to play the shot. That and the fact that the the scorecard. I mean, honestly, they're keeping score every hole. They're keeping score. Okay, what does it matter if you sign? I what tennis? They don't. You know, the players not. No, no. Hey, Charlie, it's Deuce. No, no, no. It's Deuce. No. No, Charlie, that ball was out. No, no, it was out. That is the thing in college, and you know, at the. The collegiate level in tennis, they're still calling the lines for themselves. I know. I know. I don't know about you. There were a few guys, you know, back in the day in high school and college that I played with. I would not I, believe me. There were certain guys on certain teams. I followed them into the woods. Let's just say that. There were certain teams we played we did not trust at all. I don't know what you're trying to say. I said it. We said it right to them on the first tee. Just so you know, you've got a caddy today. Us. We'll be walking this round every step of the way with you guys. Oh, I can just see a young David Moulton doing that. You must have been a peach out there on the golf course. Listen, I was three years I was on the team. We all played against one another and all the local tournaments would have it. We all knew each other. So by name, we'd look right at you and go, Charlie, you cheat. We all know you cheat. You're not cheating today. And, Mark, I was not a trash talker. But there was, you know, one team and one guy in particular, which I'm like, Charlie, you couldn't beat me if I hit eight balls out of bounds on the first tee. All right? I'm not. I'm following you all day. Would have paid money. Would have paid money to see that. It's time. Here it is. We're going to preview the XFL next on Miller and Moulton. It's true right here on the Florida Sports Network. You're listening to Miller and Moulton exclusively on the Florida Sports Network. 22 minutes until the top of the hour. Final segment of Miller and Moulton on the Florida Sports Network in Lake City and surrounding areas, Tampa, St. Pete, Fort Charlotte, to Venice. The bonus hour in the 239 begins at the top of the hour. Anthony Miller's kind enough to join us. He covers the XFL for XFLNewsHub.com. XFLNewsHub.com. You can follow Anthony on Twitter by BY Anthony Miller. By Anthony Miller. Anthony, it's David and Mark. Thanks for your time. How are you? I am good. Thanks for having me on, gentlemen. Appreciate it. All right. Let's just start with the players. How good are they? I've seen some of the quotes. These are guys 54 through 75 in an NFL training camp. Anthony, are they really? 
how how good do you think the talent's going to be on display beginning tomorrow? So these these are good players. Look, these are guys that have played in the NFL, have experience. I mean, you look at guys like Markavius Bryant, Josh Gordon. These are guys that had. You know, they had success in the NFL, but maybe something happened along the lines that kind of got them off the path a bit. So there, there are talented players on here. I would just say for, for the fans, be patient. Usually these first two or three weeks, it may, the play may look a little sloppy, but that's because these guys have only had a little bit over a month to really practice. So it takes a little bit to kind of gel and get into a rhythm. So you, you may see some turnovers. You may see some penalties, uh, you know, tomorrow and Sunday. But just realize that, you know, these guys haven't had a lot of time to practice. The talent is there. It's absolutely there. And when you look at the quarterback position, this is a position that the XFL is really focused on. They've had their quarterback uh, quarterback academies with Jordan Palmer working with these guys. So the quarterback play has always been a big question with these alternative football leagues. But for the XFL, they have really jumped on top of it. And I think you're going to see much better quarterback play than we have seen in recent years. And that's because of the focus the XFL has had on it. So you're, you're going to see some players that maybe were overlooked. You're going to see some guys that you recognize. But the talent is there. It's just these, these are guys that are literally just – maybe a couple of players away from actually making an NFL roster. Is is that then the key, Anthony, long-term, that this is going to be, you know, they, know, they don't, the NFL doesn't talk about developmental leagues. They've got a pretty good one in the NCAA. But is that where you see this league having an opportunity? If the quarterback plays that good, quarterbacks still need to be developed. Can they get to the point where some of these guys are going to get their next shot again in the NFL? Yeah, and I think that's why the XFL has been working with the NFL more closely than ever. They work with the uh, the NFL Alumni Academy, where they're bringing in players that are with that Alumni Academy into the XFL to develop their skills. These are guys that may be, may be seen as like practice squad players that just need a little more development. So I think eventually it could come to the point where if the XFL can prove themselves as a proven product and be consistent year after year in terms of viewership, in terms of attendance in stadiums, that eventually the NFL could be bought into the fact that, okay, we need to fully engage with the XFL and get our practice squad players on there, just like they did with NFL Europe in the 90s and 2000s. But, you know, the NFL is going to be a little hesitant because they don't want to spend millions of dollars on a league that, you know, and let's, let's face it, has, you know, lost out twice already they want a proven product to get behind so the xfl this is an important year for the xfl if they can prove themselves that they can be we don't get to weaken viewership and attendance the nfl is going to back them up eventually anthony miller covers the xfl xflnewshub.com xflnewshub.com follow him on twitter by by anthony miller all right what rule differences will we see if we tune into the XFL this weekend from what we're used to seeing? So there's two main ones that are I can consider to be I don't know revolutionary is a strong word for it, but these are really good rules to have. So one is the kickoff. So typically in the NFL you would the, the kickoff team would line up with the kicker. But instead, now the kickoff team is lined up within five yards of the return team. That's a huge difference from what the NFL is doing. And this rules it's going to decrease the amount of injuries and head-on collisions that you get with kickoffs. But also, it's going to increase the opportunity for returners to actually make a big play off of it. We don't see a lot of returns in the NFL. We see a lot of 
um, you know, touchbacks. So that rule is really going to bring make that play more important than ever. And then also the extra point. So the NFL, you got your one point extra point, and that's it. The XFL, they do it differently. They have a one point, a two point, and a three point conversion. So for the the, the one point conversion is so at the two yard line. You got the two point conversion from the five, and then the three point conversion from the 10-yard uh, 10 line. And this is important because if you're down by nine in a game, usually that's a two-possession game in the NFL. In the XFL, that's a one-possession game where all you have to do is score a touchdown and get the three-point conversion, and all of a sudden the game is tied up. So those are two of the biggest rules that really emphasize, you know, separates the XFL from the NFL that really the NFL should consider looking at changing in the future. Sounds hokey. Anthony, I mean, there's no other way about it. A three-point play for a conversion, um, you're going to have to work to me to convince the football fan that that's a football play. Do you have any concerns with the hokiness of these rule changes at all? I think it makes the game more exciting. Look, the extra point, it's basically just a one-point kick where, I mean, let's face it, it's kind of a boring play. It's a pointless play. It's, it's, it's a mindless play. It's not something you really think about point two point or a three point conversion there's more strategy to it you know you talk about the beginning of the game some most of the time you're only going to, you're only going to go for the one point or the two point conversion but at the end of the game when you need to catch up when you're down by 18 points that's only a two possession game you have to go for those three points so there's a little more strategy and a little more thinking behind the extra point instead of how the nfl does it where you just kick it for one point or you can go for the two point version and that's it i heard that there's a component that is different from any other football league. Did I hear correctly that in the XFL you can challenge a penalty? That you get like one challenge in which literally you could challenge a play, a penalty, you could challenge anything. Is that true? So I, you can the penalties are going to be reviewed by the league. So they're going to be, I think. But the NFL, the XFL's goal is to make sure that every play is being done the right way, and they want to make sure nothing gets overlooked. So really, every play gets reviewed. I'm not 100% on if you can challenge a penalty, but every play gets reviewed. That if something needs to change, they can do it on the fly. They have, you know, the sky referee that's able to, you know, that has the Xbox controller and be able to review plays and stuff like that. So I think the the XFL wants to make sure that every play is done the right way and they don't miss anything. So every play is essentially reviewed, you know, regardless if it's a, you know, a turnover or a penalty, whatever it is, the XFL is going to review and make sure to get it right. And the other side of this, Anthony, I know from a standpoint of watching the games, they are embracing gambling in a big way. When we watch these games being broadcast, it's going to have a very Vegas feel to it, isn't it? Yes, and that's a, a big emphasis they had in 2020 was making sure they had the betting lines, um, on the score, you know, on the score queue there, when you looked at the team score, you also looked at, you know, what the over/under was, who was favored in it, and then that was something that was very big with the USFL as well last year, where you know a lot of fans may not know the player, they may not really care about the teams, but they want to gamble, they want to bet money. So yes, that's a very big, um, it's a big deal for these, especially for these alternative football leagues, because it gets eyes on the product. So if fans know they can bet on the games. That, you know, regardless of they, if they care about the result or not, they're going to put their money on the line and see you know, if they can win it back. Do we have any idea about ticket sales? You know, I, I saw something about the prices, that basically a season ticket is either 100 or $125 uh, in all eight cities. So you know, with 
uh, you know, you do the math as to how much tickets are. But have we heard anything? You know, St. Louis, San Antonio have done well with alternative football leagues. Do we know anything about ticket sales? So I, I know that the majority of the teams are doing well in sales. I don't think anyone has sold out yet. But from what it looks like, most of the teams, especially the bigger markets like San Antonio, Orlando, um, Seattle, I think they're they're getting around the 20,000 uh, fan mark. The only ones where you're really going to see a struggle is going to be in Vegas, and that's because they're on Cashman Field. There's only 10 to 12,000 seats in that stadium. So, you know, when you watch a Vegas game, you're not going to see as many fans of them because they just don't have as much seating. But for the most part, most of the teams so far have been able to hover around the fifteen to 20,000 mark. So they're doing well uh, in terms of attendance. Is, is there room for two alternative football leagues? Or at the end of the day, does one of these leagues have to win? Between the XFL and the USFL, do we have room for two leagues? Or is it a matter of time before one will overtake the other? My personal opinion is no. And I say that because, you know, when you look at the last 20 to 30 years, 40 years of alternative football leagues, a lot of these leagues kind of struggle to last long. And that's because of the financial part of it. You know, you know, they kind of struggle with making sure they have enough money to keep us, you know, the league flowing for multiple years. So do I think one league can survive? Absolutely. Do I think the USFL and the XFL can survive together? I personally don't think so. One of them is going to come out on top. So that's why the the next year or two is really going to be fascinating for fans to see because there's really a huge battle between the USFL and the XFL, not only for players but for fans. So whoever is able to come out on top here in the next two to three years, one of them is going to one of them is going to fall apart. It, it, it's it's bound to happen. But one of these leagues is going to survive. I, I just don't see a scenario where both of them can survive. I, I hope it can because that means more jobs for the players and coaches. But the reality is I, I just I'm, – I'm not as optimistic. One of them is going to survive. He's Anthony Miller. He's covering the XFL for XFLNewsHub.com. XFLNewsHub.com. Follow Anthony on Twitter by BY Anthony Miller. Anthony, thanks for doing this. We appreciate it. Safe travels. Best of luck. We'll catch up down the road. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Anthony Miller. The XFL, which has never seen a year two. This is their third attempt. They did year one in 01 on NBC. Got canceled. They were four games into, I think it was, year two with Vince McMahon again in 2020, pandemic. League goes bankrupt. He sells it for $15 million to The Rock. The Rock waited till 2023 to debut. USFL beat him to the punch last year. They played their season. Here we go. First off, Mark, do you think they see year two? No. Remember, okay. No, I I, I don't. I don't think people are going to watch. I think the things he said about gambling are a bunch of junk. I love to gamble. I gamble as much as anybody out there. I'm not betting one dime on the XFL. Not a dime. I'm not turning on going, oh, crap, I got to get the over-under on the Vipers-Sea Dragons game. Lee Sterling is giving out XFL picks to his clients. Just so you know. 
if you're planning on nine seven four one and twenty one thousand, if you're planning on gambling on this league, we'll have a talk. Bob Stoops is the only holdover head coach from who was a head coach three years ago. He stayed around. I think he's got the Arlington franchise there. But Reggie Barlow's the coach at D.C. Our buddy Anthony Becht is in St. Louis. Terrell Buckley's got the Orlando franchise. Jim Hazlitt, Wade Phillips, Heinz Ward, Rod Woodson. Coaching in Seattle, Houston, San Antonio, and Vegas, respectively. And they're kind of all over the place. They've got some names that are coaching. they got some other guys that are not names. I mean, that's that's a little unusual because I've always thought they've spent way too much money on the coaches in this league. Okay, you've been big into this. Tell me if you think this is, you know, players get 5000 a week. Okay. They get they get 1000 per win. All right? They also get um, benefits package, which is worth an additional $20,000. So your salary and benefits and what have you, it's, you know, fifty or 60000 in salary, you know, 10 weeks. And then uh, your benefit package is, you know, I don't know, so two grand a month. Yeah, 75000 uh, $75, right. a guy is what they're basically paying. Right. Um. By the way, an NFL practice squad, you get 12000 a week if you're on a practice squad in the NFL. Here you're getting 5000 maybe 6000 a week in the XFL. But they're so. playing in home stadiums, which means there's travel, which means there's hotels. There are a lot of expenses that they have that the USFL does not. Apparently, the league is providing housing and two meals a day for the year, not just for camp. Apparently, the league, because I guess they're, like, situated in one area, and then they fly to, like, you know, they had training camp, I think, in the Arlington area. And then Orlando and Houston are both flying to Houston today to play in Houston tomorrow. Then I think they all go back to Arlington, is my understanding. Great way to ingratiate yourself in the community by being thousands of miles away from the city that you play in. I, these are grassroots types things. This is minor league. This is what I did. How do you do grassroots if you don't have the players on the ground? I, I think both these leagues are inevitably going to fail. I always have. Miller and Moulton, thanks for listening. Florida Sports Network. David-